I'm Diane Lee, and this is Never Forget What They Did. On March 12, 2020, the WHO declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. In July 2020, the Australian government actively prevented its citizens and permanent residents returning home from overseas or interstate. When we got back, they locked us up and made us pay. These are our stories because we must never forget what they did. With business interests that take him all over the world, Daniel found himself stuck in Zambia in August 2021, trying to get back home to Perth, Western Australia. Unfortunately for him, he was impacted by not only Australia's international flight caps, but also the South African variant that was scaring governments and public health officials around the globe. Exiting Zambia via Johannesburg in October, after the restrictions around South Africa were relaxed, Daniel then had to fly to Brisbane, but with borders firmly closed between states and territories, he found himself caught in the bureaucratic nightmare that was Western Australia's G2G pass and COVID testing. This is Daniel's story. I guess for me, I'd actually watched this evolve from a distance before it even got to Australia, while it was still in China. Um, We were watching it um, on satellite TV, how this new virus had broken out in China in a wet market and China were very worried about it. You know, all sorts of um, barbs pointed at the US. This came from the US. So I guess for me, watching it even start like that, I was probably on board with, COVID being a potentially serious issue. You know, there was all sorts of footage in the early days of China building, you know, um, fast-tracking new hospitals, especially to deal with COVID and, and all that sort of stuff. And I and I was like, this must be, you know, I, I remember SARS and bird flu and, and it never really impacted us much here in, a, in Australia. It did impact any... I've been, I've been travelling globally for 20 years as, as part of my profession, so... Um, I've, you know, we've been impacted, or more than that, actually, we've been impacted from, you know, from 9-11 to all these um, these uh, outbreaks that um, come and go. But, yeah, this one just seemed to me to be a bit different, but only as time went on. In fact, we'll get to it later on. I know I know we will, but um, it was only during the hotel quarantine phase where I thought, hang on, hang on, something's not right here. And, and, and you know, there was some light bulb. Yeah, like when it was first announced, I was kind of on board with it, thinking, oh, this might be something serious. As a novel coronavirus, we didn't know much about it in the early months of 2020. Views differed as to its seriousness, but because it was new, we had to trust the experts. I guess the thing for me was knowing that Wuhan has one of the, um, you know, one of the sort of world's infectious diseases labs, and and knowing knowing that they um, were holding the largest collection of coronaviruses um, from anywhere, doing research. So I guess I guess um, for me that that was kind of like, yeah, this might be this might be something real. I I don't think I ever believed that it came from a wet market, knowing 
that Wuhan has an infectious diseases research lab, right? Specializes in coronavirus. Like I say, at that point, I was on board with COVID and, you know, the, how serious it, it, it may be. Well, that's what we were certainly led to believe. And kind of like, well, this has put the brakes on everything I've been doing for the last 20 years. So I guess we just have to sit it out. And yeah, it was pretty, it was depressing, actually, to be honest, because we just didn't know what was coming. We didn't know where the end was going to be. We didn't sort of know anything. Yeah, it was a whole lot of uncertainty around what was going on, I think. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit depressing. Do you mind me asking what you do for work? Uh, so I'm in the mineral exploration field and been been working in most of the global jurisdictions for the last 20 plus years. You know, it's kind of like, are we going to be able to go back to doing what we do? Um, you know, doing what we, we know, you know, for someone like me that was dependent on global travel to earn a, to earn a living. And the other um, depressing thing for someone like me was um, because our earnings are derived from outside of Australia, we weren't entitled to any COVID supplement. Yeah, if we were outside Australia as well, we didn't get COVID supplements, we got nothing. There's nothing there to, that was set up to um, help all Australians. It was only the ones they wanted to help or decided they should help. You know? Well, fast forward to July 2020, and that was when the Australian government introduced the international flight caps. How did you feel about it and what was the impact on you at that particular stage? Or was you impacted a little bit later? Prior to that, we were wondering if we'd ever be able to, to fly or, you know, how long it would take before we could fly to go and earn our um, income. But then when that came about, it's like, well, this really puts the brakes on it, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> you know, you can't come or go. Oh, you could, you could actually leave, um, but, but would you ever get back? So when did, you, when did you try to get back to Australia? I had a flight booked back in, may have been August 2021. Yeah, so I was here in, in Oz. Due to his business interests overseas, Daniel was trying to get out of Australia. But because of the Australian government's international flight caps, he was concerned about not being able to get back. So where did you fly to when you left Australia? I've got um, things happening in Zambia, in southern central Africa. Okay, so you were in Zambia and Africa and you were trying to get back into Australia in August 2021, correct? Yeah, that's right. Now, I had several flights cancelled and initially I was told not to go anywhere near South Africa and, and Zambia um, shares a border with about seven other countries, right? South Africa is not one, but um, it's very close to South Africa. And, and I was told by my travel agent that if you go anywhere near or cross into South Africa at any stage, you will not be allowed to come back to Australia. It is a no-go zone for, for people coming from South Africa, right? There was a South African variant at that time, wasn't there, that they were really yeah, worried about? Yeah, that's right. South Africa was suffering pretty badly with a with, uh, massive, massive outbreak. Um, my flight back to Oz was booked 
via Dubai. So um, Lusaka is the capital of Zambia. Lusaka, Dubai, Dubai, Perth. And then, um, so what happened? Dubai closed their borders to certain countries in, in Africa, and Zambia was one of them. So flying back via Dubai was not an option. And so I'd spoke, I got a good travel agent here in Perth um, that I've known for a long time and I'd been in contact with him and he just said, leave it, leave it with me, don't panic. You know, we'll look at it every day. He said, it's changing daily. Um, We'll see what we can do. And eventually he came back to me and said, I can get you out via Johannesburg. Can you get to Joburg? And I said, yeah, I can, but hang on a minute. You told me that I'm not allowed to go into South Africa. He said the um, the rating for South Africa has now changed, and he said you can actually. This is this is getting into October now, right? So and so, I, it's easy to get to Joburg from where I am in Zambia. So I, I get to Joburg. It meant an overnight stay. So I had to do the um, COVID test prior to leaving Zambia. That was a South African requirement. And then because I had to overnight in um, South Africa to get a connection back to... Oh, so it was via South Africa, Singapore, and then Perth, right? So it was a bit of a long-winded trip. Um, But I think it was a Singapore requirement that I had to do a test before I left South Africa. So I did another... So I did another COVID test in um, Joburg on the morning of the flight and then took a flight to Singapore. I've been in and out of Singapore lots of times over the last 20 plus years and I've never, it just broke my heart to see what was happening in Singapore. It was awful. The airport was just dead there was nobody like personal escorts from the from the arrival gates into the holding pen that i called it there was just a fenced off pen where they herded arrivals into and then leaving singapore was a personal escort to the departure gate like they just weren't letting and every shop like you know what changi airport's like it's a thriving um hub and there was nothing happening there. it was dead it was just heartbreaking to see Yeah, and then ultimately Singapore into into Brisbane, right? Yeah, I didn't have a choice, right? So when this um, when this flight routing came to me from the travel agent, I said to him, "Oh, it's only October." I said, "Maybe we should wait and see if we can get a direct flight into Perth from somewhere." And he said to me, "He said to me, you've got no chance of getting a flight direct into Perth. The flight caps are so." flight into WA and he said I'm going to give you some advice he said if you don't take this flight that I've got on hold for you he said I don't think I can get you back before new year the flight caps are so tight he said that that's really how it is so he said you decide if you want to stay in Africa for Christmas and new year or he said otherwise you got to take this flight so how many people were on the plane Daniel oh no it was empty Joburg to Singapore I think there might have I think there might have been seven or eight people on that flight. And then and then Singapore to Brisbane, I reckon there was probably fifteen people. Yeah. Certainly I only travelled economies. Yeah. The planes were empty and I said to my travel agent, How do they even operate like that? And he said, No, they're all carrying freight. He said passengers are just an extra. Because there were a whole lot of cargo contracts that were happening at the same time because I um I found them on the tenders website. So yeah, they mightn't have been flying passengers, but they were getting a lot of money out of freight and cargo. I can tell you that um, I have it on good authority that at the time there was 50,000 tonne of beef flying out of Perth to the, to the Middle East. I look, I don't know whether that's every night or every week, but it was a, 
it was a hell of a lot. And that's why Emirates and that were still flying to Perth and not, not bringing or taking passengers. Mm, no, that was a that was a pretty pretty good contract for them, I think. So at, at the same time that the flight caps were announced, that was July 2020, um, the government, state governments also introduced a fee for hotel quarantine. Did, how did you feel about that at the time? Did it impact you personally or didn't you worry about it until you actually had to come back? I probably didn't give it a lot of thought until it was going to impact me, to be honest. I don't know if I sort of think it now or or whether I always thought it, but the thing is, you know, my thinking is we don't make prisoners pay for their jail time. You know, I probably thought the same thing at the time. How do we manage that when we, we don't make lawbreakers pay for their incarceration, you know? Pretty crap. But I didn't I wouldn't have given it a whole lot of thought until it was gonna impact me. You know, watching watching state premiers and deputy premiers tear up quarantine bills and, and you just think, yeah, you know, this is sending a pretty strong message here that we shouldn't be doing it, right? So this gets on to, I think, the bulk of your story. So the hotel quarantine experience and then trying to get back into Perth. So could you tell me a little bit about that? The hotel quarantine itself, while there was no fresh air and no opening windows and the meals were a bit crap and the bamboo cutlery and all that, you're just like, but this is what I've got to do. Sorry, you had to go to Brisbane, didn't you? So you could get into Perth. No, couldn't get into Perth. Flight caps were too tight. In fact, there was no flights available into Perth. It wasn't, yeah, there was just no no seats. So, yeah, into into Brisbane, uh, middle of the night into Brisbane, processed in a holding area at the Brisbane airport by immigration and or Queensland police were running the buses to the hotels. Um, we were all sort of split up. There was, I think, six people on the bus that took me to the hotel I was at and then yeah into quarantine and I don't know whether it's relevant but I couldn't believe it going into the hotel lobby like you got to wait on the bus and then they process you and they call you off the bus and you go in and they make you sign some forms and then the cop um, opens the lift doors and he sterilizes the lift with his spray bottle and I said to this copper surely you have got better things to do than cleaning a lift for the hotel and he said to me he said to me, it's not a bad job. He said, think of the worst things I could be doing out on the street. Yeah, I talk about a bad waste of resources when you think of all the immigration and customs people that actually weren't working. We've got federal agencies that had nothing to do because borders were closed. Into hotel quarantine, I, you know, I'm an outdoor act person. Lucky I don't smoke. I normally drink, but I couldn't. I didn't bother drinking. I didn't order any booze. Being locked up for 14 days in a hotel room is not fun, while it is possible to keep physically active by pacing. Hotel quarantine took its toll on many detainees' mental health. And for a nation obsessed with sanitation, our hotel rooms were not the cleanest. I thought, how am I going to survive this? So I hired a... Um... An exercise bike from a third party. I think I think there was a pamphlet in the hotel paperwork that I received. So yeah, hired an exercise bike. That was probably delivered on day two or three, and I just um, spent most of the fourteen days pedalling on the exercise bike, staring at the air traffic control tower of the Brisbane airport. You know, having nothing to do does nothing for anyone's physical or mental fit. I'm pretty sure I couldn't get laundry done. 
Um, and I remember washing, washing underwear and stuff in the in the shower, and then hanging it up in the bathroom. The only time I opened the door was to put rubbish out by the door and to have um, COVID tests. And I think I had three or four COVID tests in the time I was there. I, I'm not a TV person, so I don't watch movies. I don't watch much TV. Um, but that's all I had. Uh, look, I had internet there, so spend a lot of time doing research. Uh, and and proper research and and reading some of the garbage on Facebook and and stuff like that. You were saying that hotel quarantine is when the penny dropped for you and you went, hang on, hang on. So was that because you were doing the research? Yeah, that that would have contributed to it. But what really made me think that this is more about political mileage than public health, right? And there's there's a few reasons. Someone like me that had a couple of stopovers on the way home. So I'd had three COVID tests, I think, before I arrived in Brisbane, right? And so I was negative. And then I had three more COVID, three or four more COVID tests in quarantine and all negative. And so after about day five in quarantine, someone like me would have presented absolutely zero risk to the community, right? And this is 2021, we had significant outbreaks in the community and particularly in Queensland, right? They started to, uh, you know, they still had closed borders with New South Wales and um, all that sort of stuff. The other thing was like on having to leave quarantine, they force you to sign declarations so they can release you. And and even though those declarations are irrelevant, and and I can go into why they're irrelevant to me, um, and they just say, if you don't sign them, we can't release you. And you're like, that's holding a gun to someone's head, right? That was the exact words of one of the Queensland health officials when they told me they were going to put some paperwork under my door before I was released that I needed to sign. And when I questioned them on what, what I was signing, they said, oh, there's some declarations there and one of them was a Queensland health declaration right and I said but but I'm going to be in WA so I won't be taking any notice of Queensland health when I leave here her words to me were if you don't sign these declarations we can't release you from quarantine and I said but they're irrelevant and she said I'm telling you what you need to do to be released Even though National Cabinet was supposedly formed to coordinate the COVID response, each of the jurisdictions had a different approach. With state borders closed, Australia reverted to its pre-Federation past. If we just go back a bit, I thought, right, Queensland having is having... Um, they weren't massive outbreaks like Sydney had, but they were having these spot fires of COVID breakout all across the state, right? And WA was still very low risk because the borders had been closed and McGowan had stopped people moving pretty much full stop. And and on about, uh, sort of after the first week, I'd spoken to my travel agent on the phone and said, look, we better look at think about getting a ticket back to Perth. I'll be out of here in a few days, blah, blah, blah. He said to me, look, you'll have to get your G2G pass organised before I can book a ticket. No worries. So I get on the G2G app, the WA one, and applied for a pass to come back home. Every application I put in was automatically rejected, right? About five. I did some one day and some the next day, thinking maybe the system's down or broken or something. In the end, I got onto the WA Health hotline and I rang them and I said, listen, I'm trying to do a G2G pass. I'm in hotel quarantine in Queensland. And I said, every application I put in gets automatically rejected. They said to me, 
oh, you can't apply while you're in hotel quarantine. And I said, what? I said, why not? No, you have to wait until you're released from quarantine and then you apply. And I said, but it might take 48 hours. You know, the fine print in the app says allow 48 hours before um, travel to do your G2G pass, right? And I said, in addition to that, I can't book a flight until my travel pass has been approved. And they said, well, that's just how the system works. And I said, so Queen, WA's got hardly any COVID. I just seriously questioned that and I said I you know I told them I, I thought this was about public health and I was at the airport in an airport hotel I said to them the safest thing for me is to discharge from here jump in a cab and go and jump on my airplane but I said your process doesn't allow that and they said well that's just how it is and I I struggled with that I ended up bringing WAPOL, WA police, right? And I said to this um, guy that I spoke to, I said, I'm in quarantine. I'm trying to do a G2G pass. You know, I explained the whole situation to him. And I said, the system's broken. Like I said, this system's been in place for nearly 18 months and it doesn't work. And I said, you know, I know what your rules are, but I'm telling you now, you will not stop me from coming home to my family. I was quite upset about it. Anyway, he said, look, said, what I'll do for you, mate, he said, you send me all your documents, your COVID tests and all the all the stuff that you'd normally upload for the travel application he said email them through to me and i'll process your application manually and i said yep i'll do that thanks very much he said i'm not allowed to do it we're not supposed to do it but he said i i understand your document so i'll do it for you that's great for me but what about other people like i said what's happening i know what was happening people were lying on their g2g application one of the questions is are you currently in hotel quarantine and and i was following this other group on facebook and people were saying oh yeah you have to lie tell them you're not in anyway so this guy he processed a travel application for me it was granted and ultimately i could once i was forced to sign these declarations from queensland health i was able to just jump in a cab i had a um, plane booked that um i was actually able to adjust my departure time from the hotel my checkout time to coincide with my flight so i didn't spend any time sort of with the public but it, it got really interesting um when I got to Perth and Waypol were processing arrivals at the Perth airport, checking your documentation and stuff, and I had all my quarantine paperwork, and, and this cop said to me, um, oh, welcome back, welcome home. He said, you've done your quarantine, you've done all your COVID tests, you're good to go, enjoy your freedom. And I said, I said, oh, cool. I said, but what about doing a COVID test in a couple of days' time, like Queensland wanted me to do? Because yeah, that was one of the declarations I had to sign. They, you know, you have to guarantee Queensland you'll do a COVID test. Um, I think it's on day three after getting out of quarantine. And I said to Queensland, I'll be in WA. I'm not taking any notice of Queensland Health. I'll be doing what WA want me to do. And that's when Queensland said, if you don't agree to that and sign that, we can't let you out of quarantine. <laughs> So I asked this um, WA policeman, um, what about a COVID test in a couple of days' time? And he said, oh, I don't think so. Hang on. And he, he had a look on his computer and he goes, no, no, you've done a heap of COVID tests and you're just out of quarantine today. He said, you'll be fine. He said, you're a free man. Go and do what you need to do. I said, okay, cool, thanks. So I, I left, right? And then 
at home having breakfast about four days later, I was opening my emails. There's an email from WA Police. Why haven't you fronted for a COVID test? And, um, you know, the ramifications if you don't do your COVID test and, you know, because WA was a real police state um, by now. And you know, So I wrote back to them and sort of said to them that, um, well, I was advised I didn't need to do it. And, you know, your officers told me I, I wasn't required to do it and blah, blah, blah. But on this email was a link to the COVID testing centres. Oh, it's, and it's only there's one three Ks down the road from me. So I'm not going to wait for a response from Waypole. I'll just go down there and have one more COVID test. That won't matter, you know. So I drive down, I print this email and I drive down there and I get to this drive through centre and the and the young lady there says, oh, what can we do for you? I said, I'm here for a COVID test. I've got this email from Waypole saying I should have had one yesterday, blah, blah, blah. And she looked at it and she said, oh, we can't do government COVID tests here. And I said, are you serious? I said, this is the, the email has a link and this is where the link brings me. This is one of the testing centres. She said, oh, yeah, we get you people every day. But she said, we can't do them. I said, well, where do I go for a COVID test? She said, I have to go to Rockingham General Hospital, which is like that's 30 Ks up the road from me. I said, well, I can go up there. But I said, now I've got to stop and get fuel. I might stop and have a bite to eat. I said, I'm coming to get tested because Waypole think I might have COVID. And you're asking me to go and drive 30 Ks and do other things. And, you know, this is about public health. Why can't you do a test here? Anyway, she called her supervisor over and he came over and I explained it to him and he said, yep, um, we, we actually can't do government tests here. But he said, the other thing that we can't do is turn people away when they turn up for a COVID test. So he said, I'm going to do a test. But he said, when you get have to do a follow-up test on day 21, you will have to drive to Rockingham Hospital and get that test. I said, I'm not driving to Rockingham for a COVID test. So anyway, I did the test, negative. I never got another email from Waypole saying I had to do another test um, on day 21. So that was all good. Given his experience, Daniel is right to question how the response is about public health because there were so many gaps in the process that seemed to risk public health. You know, when I add up a few of these things, like having to be prove you're negative before you even arrive in Australia, prove you're negative while you're in quarantine, the Queensland government forcing you to sign declarations as a condition of your release from quarantine, not being able to apply for a travel pass while you're in the safest environment there is at that time in quarantine. And there was a definite um, lack of information sharing between the states. I said to Queensland Health when they said I had to do this COVID test to get out of quarantine, I said, if I get a COVID COVID test in WA, I said, I know they're not going to share my results with Queensland. I already know that from the research I've done. And this Queensland Health Office said, yeah, we know, but I'm telling you what you need to do to get out of quarantine. And so there was a a definite lack of information sharing. And then the disconnect between WAPOL and WA Health, like, we've got a, we had a government-funded testing centre that wouldn't do government, government tests. And you know, for, I, mean, I live in the largest metro area outside of Perth in WA. We didn't have a COVID testing centre approved to do government tests. For me, they're like the key light bulb moments where you think, hang on, this is not about public health. If it's about public health, who cares what clinics do the testing? If it's about public health, why aren't the states sharing information on travellers? If it's about public health, when an international arrival has had two or three or more COVID tests before arriving and then a couple more by day five, in quarantine, why don't we just release them? Like COVID positive people that were in the general population were allowed to quarantine at home while international arrivals that proved themselves to be negative and not carrying COVID were forced into a, into a prison cell. And so I'm not on board. 
Look, COVID's a real virus, don't get me wrong, and all my colleagues overseas have, have had it. They've all survived. None of them ended up in hospital. I don't dispute the virus, but the, the way it was mismanaged in Australia and other countries, it's just disgraceful. And and I think unless you've been through some of these situations that, that us travellers went through, you don't realise it. You don't realise that it was all a big... I don't know. It's not a scam. I don't even know what the end game is, but it was just mismanaged something terribly. There was no logic to, to how it was managed in my mind, like no logic at all. And and I don't know whether it was deliberate, but it certainly created a divide between those that, that never left the country and stayed home and, you know, and were just here when it all happened and, and those that had to, had to return back. There is a definite, and I think there still is, a stigma. That's a direct result of the media. Every single commercial media channel in Australia had never-ending press conferences of premiers, of prime ministers, of health experts, of AMA presidents and, and all this telling everyone how bad COVID is and was and, and people just that didn't know any better just believe that. I mean, my, my medical doctor here in Perth says to me, don't believe anything you see on commercial media. He's, he's been a medical doctor for 40 years. And I don't know whether that's a deliberate ploy or whether that's just how it played out. But it's what it did, it certainly sold advertising space and, and stuff for the media moguls. And, you know, I always say that, that the media's only obligation is to increase profit for shareholders. They're under no obligation to print the truth or investigate the truth. I don't have a problem with quarantine in principle as a safety measure like testing returning travellers just so you can get a bit of a handle on what's coming into the country and I don't have a problem with that. But after multiple negative COVID tests and two weeks locked up and then asking quarantinees to pay for the privilege, it's like, hang on. I've asked Queensland, is this a fee or a fine? If it's a fine, what have I done wrong to be fined? And if it's a fee, what's it for? If it's a public health fee, why isn't Medicare footing the bill? They say that we, you know, it's part of the Public Health Act and we were in the, you know, protecting public health. Well, that's fine. Public health can pay for it. That's why we pay our taxes. Pay tax here in Australia. And this is the hypocrisy of the government's response. COVID vaccines were rolled out to Australians as a public health measure. We were forced into quarantine as a public health measure. Why were vaccines free and hotel quarantine not? that the other um pertinent piece of information for me personally was i was actually double vaccinated when i came back into australia so you were double jabbed and still you were subjected to the same conditions as the rest of us trying to get in yeah double astrazeneca like an australian approved vaccination everything and and the only reason i did that or the main reason i did that was because i thought it might make it easier to get back into australia There's not one shred of evidence to show that vaccinations do one single thing to prevent or prevent the spread of or control the symptoms of, of COVID. You know, I saw something on um, on the internet the other day where someone said, oh, you need to tell that to the 17,000 people Australians that died of COVID. I said, well, hang on a minute. Did Australia's death rate increase by 17,000 during COVID? No, it didn't. I don't know if you know, but not one single country has been able to publish their global death rate. You know, globally, we've been in a declining death rate for 40 years. There is not one updated global death rate since 2019. 2020, 2021, 
in 2022 are all UN and WHO projections. Now, every day or month, they tell us how many people died from COVID, but they can't update the global death rate. And that's from reputable sources, right? So I think it'll be embarrassing if they... Um, look, lots of people died through having COVID. There's no question of that. But like my mum said, what about the poor people in nursing homes? I said, mum, people die in nursing homes every day. It's a one-way ticket when you go into a nursing home. Nobody gets... People die in nursing homes anyway. That's what they're there for. Like, that's the unfortunate reality, right? Now, some may have died months earlier because they caught COVID and had complications. That's sad. But the reality is they weren't coming out of that nursing home anyway. And the media preying on the nursing home statistics is just disgraceful. Like thousands of us who believe charging for hotel quarantine is both unfair and unlawful, Daniel would like to test the legislation in court. Well, I've told Queensland that I understand that you introduced rushed through legislation. I'm prepared to have that legislation test by a higher authority. Now, the trouble with the, um, what do they call them, judicial inquiries or something, they had them here in WA. The trouble with them is they're held in state courts and state courts are controlled by the state governments. They need to get into a higher court to be heard, to have an unbiased hearing. Interesting, the last um, letter that I sent to Queensland, I quoted the World Health Rules or something, 2000, that all the signatories are bound by. I quoted that and several other um, things. And it took Queensland two months to respond to that. I only just got a letter from the other day. better off engaging them because that'll that'll look better if, on our part if it does end up in court if you don't respond they're just going to say this this person wasn't responding no I... daniel has some final thoughts for australia I just think it was very badly managed and we shouldn't be creating division between our own citizens and you you shouldn't be charging your own citizens for the luxury of returning home. It was terrible, really terrible. It's a terrible thing to do to citizens. I, I understand stopping tourism and people that didn't don't live here, but stopping your own citizens from returning home, that must break every human rights law or something. Like, that is just disgraceful. And then charging them for the privilege. The Never Forget What They Did podcast tells our stories because what was done to us should never be forgotten. Music by Les FM on Pixabay. Our stories are released every week on a Sunday. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on dianelee.com.au forward slash never forget. <laughs>